Hi, I'm Namusa. And I'm Adadana. And this is the Africana Podcast. Now I don't know why, what our words really are. It's okay. We'll make them up. We'll make them up. No one knows what we are saying. But it's right. <laughs> On episode two of the Africana podcast, we talk about Lamu and Kenyan coastal tourism, agriculture and FGM, harassment in the streets, the interwebs, and at work. How do we deal and how can we do better? Dashboards, respond to a listener email, and eating jollof in Korea? What? All that and more brought to you by your new favorite girl children. Have a listen on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. Right, episode two. Woo! High five. We made it. We did make it. Thanks to everybody who listened to episode one. We really appreciate it. We got some really awesome feedback and support, which was really cool. Went down in the DMs? <laughs> it did. It did. It totally not, did. Not in my DMs. I don't know about... Maybe we don't have the same problems. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moral of the story, we're really, really thankful to each and every one of you for listening and tuning in. Um, and yeah, let's get it started. Whoop. So, Namusa, tell me, since episode one dropped, what have you been up to? So, uh, I had a really fancy kind of two weekends. There was a long weekend, which I know we'll talk about shortly. Hello. Um, but I went to Lamu for the weekend. Nice. Yeah. And so for our listeners who don't know, Lamu's uh, on the coast of Kenya. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So a mix of beach, but also a mix of uh, Swahili culture. It's famous for a ton of donkeys. Right. There's no like cars, t- right? Yeah, like two or three cars on the island. It's just picturesque, like incredible. And so as soon as the public holiday was announced, I got on the internet, booked a flight, and came back three days later. Nice. Any highlights in particular? Mm, I think the tubing and the water skiing. So I grew up tubing and water skiing, which I feel like is not necessarily a very, in quotes, African thing. <laughs> um, but I did. And it's okay. That's your truth. That's fine. That is my truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be an Olympic sport. And the continent is coming for those Olympic sports. So you'll represent Lawn South- bowling included. Okay. <laughs> but don't you have scars, though, from your tubing? I do. Um, that's not a cue for you to show me. Yeah, yeah. But you're just going to see it anyways. Okay. Yeah, that happened. Too late. But I'm, I'm surviving. I'm out here in these streets. All right. Well, no, I'm really happy. I think actually a lot of people I know have gone to Lama recently, which is great because much of Kenyan coastal tourism has suffered in the last few years due to Al-Shabaab For and sure. a lot of the terror warnings or, or restrictions around travel from mm-hmm. the UK and the US to the point where, well, I don't know necessarily if the travel warnings are explicitly responsible or only responsible. There's a confluence of factors, but about 40% of coastal hotels have closed or scaled back their operations due to just the lack of tourism traffic. So it's great to see that it's on the come up. Yeah. And like, I think I was telling you in one of our earlier chats that I know like three or four people that have been to Lamu in the last couple of weeks. So mm. definitely more and more people are starting to go. And Lamu Tourism has done a great job in terms of branding yeah. themselves. So Lamu Tourism, find us. Knock, we will knock. come again. Let us in. <laughs> we're, we're ready. We're happy to film the live episode. La Mutamu. Just take us. Let's go. As we sail off into the sunset in a Dow. That's a real thing. Oh, gosh. That'd be so nice. Picturesque. Live show. Live show. Live show in Lamu. Oh, the live from Lamu. Live. There. Lit live from Lamu. That's so much alliteration. I think that means it's meant to be. Definitely. Awesome. 
All right. Uh, well, speaking of sunshine, our national day of prayer for sunshine in Nairobi, surprise, actually worked. Fantastic. So everyone in Nairobi has us to thank for that. You are all welcome. <laughs> no, we got quite a bit of support from Twitter and from Instagram. One of our biggest endorsers, our most high-profile endorsers, was uh, Oreo Colo, uh, who is Omidyar Network Africa and ex-Google Africa. Just an all-around boss lady. Definitely. And so, yeah, she's at Kenyan Pundit on Twitter and probably our biggest or most high-profile uh person who shouted out the idea. So thank you so much, Ori. We appreciate it. We also had some love from our brothers and sisters in Zambia and Malawi. Which I did not see this. On, yeah, in the Twitter sphere. Wow. Yeah, I was impressed. Thank you guys. That's amazing. And also, in addition to the sunshine that has returned, our prayer warriors actually somehow arranged for a surprise public holiday. So go- Two for the price of one. It was amazing. <laughs> We should do this more often. Yeah. I say next week. Actually, no, there is a holiday coming up in about... What are we going to pray for, though? For the sunshine to stay? Yeah, or if any listeners have anything that you would like prayers for, sunshine, wombs, wow. etc. <laughs> bringing it back again. We're going to do a National Day of Prayer for wombs now? Why not? Okay. Women's health. Well, that is a thing. All right, well... Although, did you hear, though, about certain companies... Now, I tried to find evidence of this online, and I couldn't, but... Uh, someone told me that apparently several companies filed for injunctions against this public holiday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see any online resources for that, but I'm pretty sure because it was supposed to, in the past, um, it's just been Muslims who were granted the holiday. Right. But I think there was like a mistype potentially in the Gazette or rumor <laughs> has it that there was a mistype in the Gazetting of it. And so everyone was like, bye. Bye. <laughs> Literally. I was the first person on. My WhatsApp groups planned vacations within 15 minutes of hearing there was a surprise public holiday. And this is why I love Nairobi. You can. Done. Yes. That's amazing. And also, really capitalism? You're just going to file an injunction against the public holiday? You can't give us one day. Just one day. But I knew the courts wouldn't move fast enough. So in my heart, I was getting on that flight to London. God bless bureaucracy. Yes. And all this is the glory. only time we will say that. Yes. I'll take it, though. Yeah, I will well take done. it, too. Anyway. <laughs> right. Paralympics. Actually, Lupita. <laughs> Moving on to happier things. <laughs> Plot twist. Uh, so Lupita on the cover of October's Vogue magazine. That was going to be my Africa Rising. Was it? Yeah. But oh. let's just do it right now. Okay. Uh, Lupita's bomb. <laughs> Plot twist. Uh, no. So she is on the cover of October Vogue. It's I think her second year in a row doing October. This is her third cover. Her third cover. Yeah. But her second October. Yes. And she, she looks fierce in fall. And yeah, she is doing so much for Kenya brand promotion in this article. I mean, the outfits, the photo shoots, they're in Western Kenya uh, by Lake Victoria, and it looks absolutely stunning. Mario Tassino did a fantastic job, per usual. Addie, what you might not know about me, and the listeners probably don't know, <laughs> is that my Facebook page for almost a year right before Lupita won the Oscar and right after mm. was effectively a Lupita dedication fan page. <laughs> I'm not joking. I believe it. Everything I posted was about her. I think a lot of us were in that phase, which makes perfect sense. And then people were like, maybe this is a little bit creepy, so you should stop. No, but you know what? She has a video of her making Ugali with her family. It's and it, so endearing and, and Ugali sweet. has now gotten a lot of press in because the Because she couldn't, week. she couldn't make Ugali to begin with. Yeah. We should make Ugali trend. After Namusa sings. Skirt! <laughs> Silence, crickets. 
Sorry, that's something you had to learn in episode one. See, this is... Go back and listen to episode one. An encouragement for you guys to get get on the train if you haven't done it already. But yeah, Lupita's lit. Like, I think in short, she's just incredible. I'm really excited for Black Panther. I can't wait to see her in that. I'm honestly, I'm really looking forward to her in a just regular romantic comedy. Like, is that... Oh, so you can be like, I see myself in Lupita. No, it's just, you know, fine, Star Wars was great, except she wasn't really herself, and Jungle Book was fine, but it was just her voice, and... You don't want me to find love, Eddie. What? Nothing. <laughs> this is not about Weird. you. <laughs> I just is really, it? I just really want to see her in a role that yeah. is a little bit more mainstream Hollywood, and then I will know that we've achieved progress in that world. Uh, romantic comedy, her, Idris Elba is the lead... Let's get it. Oh, me... In the meantime, I will settle for Black Panther, which comes out in a little less than two years. Yeah. I can't wait for that movie. It's going to be so Ooh. good. The whole cast looks amazing. Yay! On today's episode, Africa Rising. Uh, <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about that $30 billion I was committed last with a week. But b- billion. Okay. Yeah. $30 billion. I don't know how many... That's a lot of money. How many like cashmere sweaters can I get with that? What, why is that your first? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but more importantly, um, $30 billion was committed uh, last week at the AGRF, which is short for the African Green Revolution Forum. And why that's a big deal is because this is one of the largest financial conservative efforts on the continent to have both private sector, public, mix of government, NGOs, um, big agri-business companies come together and really like streamline value chains, agricultural value chains, with the end goal of empowering through kind of yield production increase, through access to market, but all for smallholder farmers. And if you think about Kenya alone, 80% of Kenyans are somehow directly or indirectly influenced by agriculture. So looking at agriculture is kind of like the key drivers to moving mass numbers of people towards the middle class and out of poverty. What do you say to people who would criticize either, not necessarily that number, but for the form itself, and say that it's essentially just a way for the big ag companies to control seeds and market their products on the continent and that it has not much to do with the empowerment of farmers in Africa. I think that's too short-sighted. Okay. I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't big egg companies that have vested interests in a lot of this money going towards GMO seeds or mm-hmm. kind of to each their own in that respect. But there is a lot of really good work that that money is being committed to. And for the first time in a very long time, seeing the public sector and the private sector working on partnerships together that are rooted in supporting smallholder farmers and like value change that smallholder farmers are working in. So maize, for example. And so it's not just necessarily like buy all the fertilizer in the world or buy all these GMO seeds. Um, It is what are the needs based on their locality, like smallholder farmers localities, understanding that in 54 countries, egg is such a big thing, but it's not going to be the same everywhere. No, that's fair. No, I went to um, one part of the forum and there were really a lot of kind of who's who in the ag and yeah. agribusiness. Former and president of Tanzania. 
He was there. President Kagame was there. Yeah. Of course, President of Kenyatta was there. Of Kenya. Yeah. Former President Obasanjo was there. And mm-hmm. he is hilarious. I've heard that I, he's a really funny dude. He was so funny. Oh, my gosh. Nigeria. It was classic Africa dad humor. I love it, though. That's my humor. And I, I was fortunate enough to attend the awards dinner mm-hmm. for, the, for the food prize. And he was one of the masters of ceremonies. And it was just... Get yourself a president that can do both. Oh, my God. Run a country <laughs> and MC an event. He was... No, he was he was fantastic. I learned some... I probably should have learned more that night, but my key takeaway was, wow, he has a sense of humor. Uh, but to something that's not so funny, unfortunately, and I promise to all our listeners that I'm actually a very optimistic person. I've just had the Africa still rising. You're just very good at those. Portion of the segment... But next week, I'll make a point to alert you all that I, I promise you, I'm very positive generally. But this Africa still rising um, gem, I guess, if you will, uh, is actually something we shared on our social media. And it's a bit of controversy from the comments of a recent comments of an Egyptian lawmaker uh, surrounding female genital mutilation. So he made a splash this week, or rather last week with his comments saying, quote, we are a population whose men suffer from sexual weakness, which is evident because Egypt is among the biggest consumers of sexual stimulants that only the weak will consume. If we stop FGM, FGM being female genital mutilation, we will need strong men and we don't have men of that sort, end quote. So the article continues, so it is better for women, he continued, to undergo the brutal practice, quote, to reduce a woman's sexual appetite, end quote, and by doing, he added women, would, quote, stand by their men, end quote. Me, I can't. Ah, the deepest of deep sighs. I, oh, goodness. Reading this article just, first of all, anytime I see FGM, I just, I almost physically get sick, or not see the process, but just see the term or read about it. It's just one of those things, as a woman especially, I just, ugh. Well, first off, it's important to note that FGM happens in Asia, it happens in the Middle East, and it happens in certain parts of the continent. At least in the Egyptian case, it was banned in 2008. But this just angers me because I, I often wonder, why is it that women have to bear the burden of morality? So essentially what this lawmaker is saying is that if women don't undergo this extremely brutal process, men won't be able to handle themselves. Essentially making women responsible for men's inability to control, in quote, sexual desires. And he walked his comments back, or he tried to clarify them, and then in another interview he said he was just joking, or it was in jest. I'm like, well, this is not really funny, because like, women actually die. All the time. There's nothing this, funny about this. Or there are lasting effects. And so this, in combination with another article that made a really big splash as well, I think a few months ago now was the BBC report from Malawi, which, did you watch it or hear about it? About the hyena. Yes. Yeah. So for those who didn't watch it, it was a NBC, NBC, BBC documentary or short report that interviewed a man who by this certain area's culture or custom is paid to sexually indoctrinate young women, young girls, as young as 12 and 13. His title is quote unquote hyena. And later in the video, he mentions that he's HIV positive, but according to custom, you know, he's not allowed to wear 
protection. And I'm just thinking, you have got to be kidding me. That... It's also sexual assault. Like, where do you even start to unpack of, of minors? And that was a thing. There was a lot of pride in his voice in what he was doing. And if anybody watches this video, you'll, you'll see what I mean. And there wasn't really much awareness, which I can also understand. Like, you don't see anything wrong with it. This is... It is what it is. But he does at the end of that clip, there's a really short segment where he talks about if he could be doing something else and he would. So that challenges this kind of like whole... Wholesale. Yeah, that he didn't understand what was happening. Well, it made enough of a splash. You're watching this and you're just like, this is why we can't have nice things. Like, why is it that, again, why is it that culture conveniently always manages to... Maybe I shouldn't say always, that's a strong word, but... It conveniently manages to subjugate women time and time again. All the time. All the time. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? Why? And... And across class, right? Like, yeah, no, this is... And it's also important to know, this is only in certain parts of Malawi, and others in Malawi have vehemently come against it and said this is not what we want to export, is what people know about us, and this, that, and the other. So there's a lot of internal kind of strife about old ways versus new ways. But his arrest was ordered by the president. Yeah. And then it was also bizarre because in spite of the fact that, yes, that was a good thing, I'm also wondering, did he, when he was doing this report, know the implications of what he was admitting to? And was he consent? Like, how much of this report was he consenting to? Exactly. And so then I was feeling weird. I was feeling bad in, like, two different ways. And I was like, damn it, you can't win for losing. Like, this is just... (laughs) Bad news all around. But yeah, it's just between these two stories, I often wonder, like, why is it? And this is not just on the continent. I mean, women, whether you're on the continent or you're not on the continent, we bear the brunt of a lot in the workplace, in relationships. Against our bodies. In families, emotionally. And these are two very extreme, granted, situations. But, and this is something that I I often say to friends is that, (laughs) because, you know, having discussions like, oh, if you could change, like, one thing about the world. And one thing would be, you know what, let's go back to Genesis. And let's tell Eve, you know what, you better really make sure he doesn't eat that apple. Because we're going to pay for it for like the next thousands of years. So really, really get that message across. Don't listen to what any else, anyone else tells you. You have kick it out Drop of his the hand. apple. Drop kick, the apple. Kick it out of his hand. Throw it across the Garden of Eden. Do whatever it is you have to do. But please make sure he doesn't eat that. Because we will suffer for eternity. That's all. <laughs> That's all she wrote. But actually, no. Have you seen... Do, are you familiar with the Sassy Gay Friend YouTube series from Second City Comedy Network? No. So basically, it's a series of comedy videos where a Sassy Gay Friend intervenes in the lives of various women in literature at okay. moments where they're about to do some pretty dumb things. Yeah. And the thesis is that this fate could have been avoided if only you had a Sassy Gay Friend. Yeah. Kind of like how Malia Obama needs black girls to like... Yes. To yoke yes. her up and like tell her... Yeah. You know, don't Girl, do that in public. Sit with us. Just sit with us. Yeah. We won't we won't put you on Snapchat. Yeah. We got you. That kind of thing. So he's making a similar argument, like, you know, we you need me to help you not do dumb things. And so there's an episode about Eve. And he's essentially saying, Don't do anything stupid. Childbirth is really gonna hurt. And God's gonna say, you know, or no, God's gonna say the childbirth is really gonna hurt. But really, he's made vaginas too small and he's looking for a scapegoat. Like it's a really funny we'll play it. This is a setup, but you don't realize it because your brain is made out of rib. No, God would never do that. He created this paradise. This can't be paradise, okay? Because it's full of mistakes. God planned this world in seven days. You can't plan a good themed brunch in seven days, never mind paradise. 
So what will happen if I eat the apple? He's gonna punish you. He'll say, Eve, childbirth is gonna really hurt now because you screwed up, but really? He made vaginas too small, and he's looking for a scapegoat. No way. Yahweh. It kind of gets at the same topic too. It's like scapegoating for a lot of things. Womp womp. I don't know where we go from here. <laughs> I know where we go from here. Tell me. So this next segment, we're just gonna title M Wombs. <laughs> Wombs being like the place that babies grow. Also where- M being mobile. Yeah, mobile wombs. Yeah. Development tropes, all in one, really. Pretty sure that's going to be the next. I was very proud of it myself. Yeah, as you should be. <laughs> but more importantly, just taking kind of this next segment to talk through different kinds of shitty harassment that women face of the diaspora. So this first story is from a friend of both myself and Adidana. Let's call her Rachel. Yeah, we're going to play the clip from Rachel's story about some really crazy street harassment. She's just moved to New York from, let's say, Kenya. And is diaspora, and just kind of her introduction to New York Let, is say, very stark. Let's say she's diaspora. Let's say. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. Not naming in any names. Right. Shout out, Rachel. We miss you. Come home. <laughs> Even though you just left, but, you know, we're still here. <laughs> Missing you with open arms. So um, here's my street harassment story. I was walking down the street. I was crossing at an intersection, and I was going one way. And this man was going the other way. So we passed each other right at the zebra crossing and he said hi or something like that. I had my earphones in and also like I just, you know, I just couldn't be bothered. So I just looked up at him and then continued texting or whatever I was doing. And as I get to the other end of the intersection, he turns around, runs after me and says, I said hi, you Expletive deleted, expletive deleted, doot, doot, and spat in my hair. Like, this dude spat in my hair at an intersection because I would not say hi to him. He looked incredibly angry. I mean, it was in the middle of the day, like on a Monday at maybe lunchtime, so I was more amused than anything else, and I didn't react. But I think the story had come out the previous week about how this woman got killed because she refused to let this dude grind on her. And in that moment, you kind of begin to realize like fragility and the fact that this man was angry enough at me for not having acknowledged his masculinity, that he was ready to inflict some form of physical retribution. And I mean, it was funny slash scary at the time, but now when I think about it more, it's still like... How do we continue to exist in this world where men think that they have a right to send things from us and how dare we not give that? Yeah. But also it was like, you know, send shampoo, send the dark and lovely extra strength, <laughs> the bucket one, the one in the yellow like lie thing that washes your sins away. Cheers. That's, that's cray. That's wild. I remember when she first told me the story and I was like, this can't be real. But it's so true. Like, how many times do we Concrete hear about... Concrete jungle where dreams are made of. And you get spit in your hair. Welcome to New, New York. York. <laughs> this can't be real. And, like, Massage Noir 101. How? Actually, don't you remember a few weeks ago where uh, at the Jouvet parade, this guy was grinding on a girl and she said, please stop, and ended up shooting her in the face? I can't. And she died. Also, why is masculinity so fragile? Yeah. Somebody explain to me. 
Well, apparently, like, 75% of our Facebook likes come from men, so hopefully. From the 18 to 24. So bizarre. I know. Wow. Look at us thirst trapping. <laughs> but we appreciate you male listeners of the 18 to 24 variety. Yeah. We didn't think we were making this for you originally, but you know what? It, looks it like takes all kinds. Plot twist. <laughs> Ding. Speaking of street harassment fuckery. Oh, dear. I think what's really important, and there's so many wonderful men out there, and so I don't want to... Not do, all men. We not said all men. We said that yes. in our team. And now not saying it ironically. Yeah, now we're saying that for real. Yeah. Because I actually know a few of them. A ton of them. Yeah. But I think what is important for... But they're all in the friend zone. I'm just kidding. Yes. Jokes. But maybe not jokes. But jokes. Kind of. (laughs) But yeah, what I'm saying, what I think is important is that sometimes men just need to know things like, if my headphones are in and I'm walking, that's not a time to hit on me. You saw that on Twitter, did you? Yeah, but it's a real thing. It's happened to pretty much everybody I know. I must say that street harassment here, the benefit of only speaking Kidobo Swahili is that if street harassment is coming at me and you're shame. smiling all the way through it i have no idea <laughs> so that's the blessing of only speaking the words that i need to get through my day i don't know any of the words that are inappropriate that would be used to refer to a woman so anything that's did told- you weren't you the I person just, who told me how, like how to say you have nice boobs i did learn that in shang yes i'm ashamed are we really gonna do this? yeah we're doing it oh dear i'm so ashamed just say I, it i'm so ashamed that i know this ukona dashboard kubwa so, gentlemen, or ladies out there, if you ever want to pay her respects <laughs> in Shang. But not when her headphones are on. Yeah. Wait for the headphones are off, then hit her with the Ukona dashboard coupon. And dashboard, if you will, is dashboard is dashboard in English. Hence, Thank you for that translation. Hence the front. In case people missed and it. And Kubwa is big or large. Yeah. So, I don't know why that's the only Shang I know, but that is... I'm sure it comes in handy. It does. It's a good, you know, trivia. It's a good party starter. It's a good party trick, yeah. I will say. I was like, really? Oh, that's in face. No, not really. But I do know that. I'm, I'm, I can't believe now everyone knows that I know that, but that's fine. <laughs> Nothing is a secret. But also, I think another, like, point two on ways that men cannot make women feel uncomfortable uh, around street harassment is, so we talked about the headphones, but another thing is if it is dark, and we are in any form of public transit, that is not the time to oh, no. have a conversation with me at, at all. Like, you can smile, you can pay your respects, but this is not the time to strike up a conversation <coughs> because I'm already trying to get through. It is dark. Is someone following me? Is somebody talking to me? What does this mean? How am I going to get home? My keys are in my hands. I'm looking for sharp objects. And from, I think for most of us, from a really, really young age... I can remember for me, like, seven onwards, you have this genuine fear that someone's going to attack you. Definitely. I think about that. I don't know if men appreciate how much... We all think about it. We think about that and orient our lives and activities accordingly. For example, like you said, I'm holding my keys in case I need to cut someone who comes at me. Uh, Crossing the street, that's another big thing that I don't think a lot of men pick up on, is that if I'm walking and you're walking directly behind me, I will cross the street or I see you coming mm-hmm. so that we are on opposite sides of the street. Same. No, it's true. And it's unfortunate because I can, for the good guys, you can see how that could be offensive or what have you. I'm like, you know what? If I have to choose between offending you and protecting myself, I'm going to choose protecting myself. And we can apologize later after I think that you're a good guy. <laughs> but... In the meantime, I have to do what I have to do because it's tough. And it's tough no matter where you are, as let's say Rachel yeah. has indicated. 
I, I think another thing that now that we're in 2016, that the way that harassment has morphed and it's moved from the street, the internet, there's so much internet harassment oh, towards cyber, women, yeah. mm-hmm. like cyber harassment. Like Leslie Jones. Oh, uh, I can't. It just is awful treatment of her. I mean, she's worked so hard, grinded for decades, finally gets a really big movie. And people won't let her be happy. Yeah. But it's also, it's racist and sexist, right? So it's like yeah. the two-for-one combo. Two-for-one, yeah. Yeah, another one is like through phones. And so this is something you and I have talked about previously. But I had a stalker midway through last year that made me really, really, really unsafe on my phone. And I would get messages and calls from a variety of different numbers. And it made me really, really terrified. Oh, I'm sorry. And it happens to way more women than... How did you deal? Yeah, it was complicated. So I blocked, there was probably six or seven numbers that I ended up blocking from kind of all over. So I wasn't picking up my phone for a long time because I, I couldn't handle to talk to this person. I would block every kind of numbers. So WhatsApp as well, which is really commonly used here. And then eventually, and I hate that I had to do this, but I went the route of my boyfriend doesn't appreciate that you're messaging me, AKA I'm somehow somebody's property and therefore that will stop Mm -hmm. another man from just letting me live and be free and that sucks and I think a lot of women are often in situations where they have to use either male family members or partners Mm -hmm. to have shitty things stop that shouldn't be started in the first place I was I was really fearful though no I can see and I could I can totally see why and not to say that what you did was wrong but I do in my own recent life I've tried very much if I'm at a bar before you used to lean on the excuse of like oh but I have someone or like you pick a male friend of yours that's with you and you're like oh sorry yeah you know just like, like latch your Sam, arms we're now together it's like did you know hello yeah. <laughs> surprise but I'm trying not to do that anymore because I want it to be enough that I myself and you're saying no I'm not interested mm-hmm. and obviously like in your situation I'm not saying that that's not what you should have done I think you did exactly what you needed to do in that moment but I, once I heard kind of the logic around why continually asking a male to intervene on your behalf was actually somewhat hurtful and harmful to the cause, I said, mm-hmm. no, I never quite thought of it that way, and I tried to make that change. But, oh. Yeah, but then you also have women saying no, like we talked about in the Juve situation, and they get shot. It's complicated, and I think women need to do what makes them feel safe and comfortable in those moments. And I also think that men and the, in quotes, good guys that we've talked about, it's also your responsibility or there's so many opportunities for you to ask people to ask your male colleagues and counterparts to do things differently. Yeah, that's true. I think men, yeah, men definitely have a really important role to play here in the fact that you guys are in the locker rooms together. You guys are the barbershops together. You guys are at the bars together. You're watching the game together. Yeah. You know, you're watching Arsenal together. I think you mean Man United, but that's no, a story for a different podcast. It's Arsenal. Not for me, personally. I'm actually a Chelsea fan. But Arsenal is uh, <laughs> breaking news. Addie is a Chelsea fan. No, uh, whatever team you support, how about that? EPL. You're watching EPL or Champions League. So you guys have many more opportunities to have these conversations when we're not around. And it's really important that you guys can be allies on our behalf because... Honestly, we could say the exact same thing, but... It means something different. But it means something different and... It's received differently. And it's received differently. Oh, you're just PMSing or, oh, no, it's not that bad or, you know, whatever it is. Or, I didn't like you anyway. 
B word. Oh, I love that. I love that. You just spent 20 minutes trying to hit on me and I've said no and your response is, but I didn't want to talk to you anyways. Okay. Personally, that's my favorite though. And I'm just like, but, but I have, but, but receipts, like you, you blow up my phone. It's like you spend that much time with people you don't like. Wow. Learn something every day. Another thing that doesn't get discussed quite often or as often is navigating workspaces on the continent as a woman. Because half the time you don't know if you're getting a job offer or being hit on. Yeah, and sometimes or propositioned. And it sounds like sometimes it sounds like the exact same thing. And it's really confusing. You're like, wait, I how do you say yes? to one thing and no to the other thing and still maintain a career? I don't have the answers. I don't have the (laughs) answers either. You know when you're just like, and it depends who it's coming from, how it's coming, where it's coming. Mm. But it's one of those things that I've had conversations with a lot of women friends of mine who have felt pressure to do certain things to either advance advance a deal or advance a business relationship do you mean sexually or just generally a bit of both like spending more time with someone so more dinners more bar nights and then of course after that is like actual like a sexual encounter and it's a really tough thing to navigate because it's a bit of this cat and mouse game that so i'm just curious though do you think that that's different from workplace harassment or it's so nuanced that one is it harassment like obviously there's like fine lines around that Mm -hmm. um but how does that vary for let's say diaspora not living on the continent oh i see do you think there's something unique that happens on the continent around this weird workplace harassment situation i think yes and no i think depending on what type of industry industry and also not everybody here has hr Ain't that the truth? So, Ain't that the truth? And usually the vehicles for these conversations, by and large, in other parts of the world, is HR. There's the infamous trainings that you all have to go to, and we're all annoyed because we have other things we could be doing, but mm-hmm. low-key we're excited because we don't want to do work. <laughs> but, yeah, I know, true. But that's generally the big... It's like the movie day in grade five for exactly. adults. Exactly. But here, that's not, except for a lot of the big corporations. Yeah, where they have to. Where they have to, and the medium to large companies as well. Otherwise, there's really not much HR. So everything is a bit more fluid. And also here, there's more so than in other parts of the world, I would say, well, I don't even know if that's true. Because here, everyone always says like, oh, but on the continent, it's who you know. It's who you know. Everything about business is who you know. And if that's the case, then I think there's a little bit more pressure because if it really is who you know, then it means that you either have to do certain things that you're either not comfortable with or are comfortable with, depends on who you are, to make sure that person that you need to know or that you do know is in the place that will help you or will put you in a place where, where you can advance or whatever it is the, the objective is. And in your experience, have you seen that uh, be gendered directionally from like men to women or have you also seen women do that? towards men so for my conversations it's women who have been propositioned or asked inappropriate questions not to say that the reverse doesn't happen i'm sure the reverse happens i just haven't come across it in my friend groups fair or they just haven't brought it up yeah yeah what about you i generally think 
I would agree with you. Yeah. Like in my experiences of the conversations that I'm having would be men propositioning women and then kind of women trying to come together and figure out, all right, how do I handle this? How do I maintain my integrity? But also I work with this person and they control if I'm still employed next month, kind of all these complicated situations. But I've also definitely seen it for women where there's a significant age and power difference in relation to men, which is also interesting to document and talk about. Because I don't think that this mom role or like women who are, let's say, are in their late 40s, early 50s, even 60s, are generally constructed as mothers as opposed to also having desires and also being exposed potentially to abusive power. Shout out to the Lavington Cougar Club. Is that a real thing? I think so. So for those who don't know... How old do you have to be? Me, I don't know. Can you find any details? I'm curious. I have the same Google you do, boo. I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea. But, you know, you get the same WhatsApp, you know, the memes and the I'm not on the right list, serves. (laughs) Well, I don't know if I am, but I've seen these things go around the... um, I don't know if it's called Lavender Cougar Club, but I think Lavender Cougar <laughs> But in any case, yeah, it's these clubs for older women and apparently university student men. What? Like and sponsors? These... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Whoa. I didn't know this was happening. What a time to be alive. Wow. I'm going to research this. You do that. <laughs> Report back next week, episode three. <laughs> so on that note. But I've seen... I've seen um, Several image graphics go around that say... What kind of graphics? No. Oh, God, no. No, not... <laughs> not, not... You walked right into that one. I did. See, I don't know these sometimes the things that I say, <laughs> the real gravity at times. No, just like, oh, meet this time and place, this location. Like in Java. Of... Like it's out in the no, public. it's not on Java. It's not at the coffee shop, no. Is that somebody's house? I don't know. I have so many questions. There's a whole world there. I think they might need a new PR team. Well, it depends on what their objective is. I don't think they want to be out here in these streets. I think it's one of those, like, you must know the password and that's it. But another thing that's important to note is that here in terms of the continent and Kenya, the business community and those circles are very small. For and sure. I, and I think that is also another difference at play compared to whether you're diaspora or not working in the UK or in the US or in Spain or Russia, whatever. Everyone knows everyone. Even no matter what the sectors are, you know who the yeah. top... The rich names, the, the captains of industry, what have you. So it's really easy for a reputation to be sullied or to be promoted in either direction, uh, depending on whatever the situation is. So I think that adds another sense of, of fear and pressure and urgency, no matter what decision it is that you try to make. And a lot of people know that, right? And will either use that power to support you or use that power against you. So how many times have I heard, not directed at me, but directed at other people, if you don't do this or if you try and go against me, I'll make sure that you never work here again, like in the country. And unfortunately, some people have the power to actually do that. That is very true. Exactly. And in that situation, what do you do? And I wish I could say that I have the answers, but I think the overall answer that I would say is to do whatever you can sleep at night with. If you can sleep at night with someone else. Well, okay. Wow, I'm just walking into them All left, them right, today. and center. Yeah. Man, let me rephrase. Do whatever it is that is comfortable yeah. for you. Yeah. And whatever. And your security and, and safety. And your security and your safety. And for me, I don't think a job is worth your fear. 
I mean, that's a really dangerous place to be, like beholden to someone for a career. Um, but that's also a fairly privileged but statement that's also, to be able to make, right? Exactly. Not everyone can say that. Yeah. And I completely understand. But it also depends on where you are. Like, do you have kids to support? Do you have... Yeah you know, what business you're in and the relationship you have and what have you. Um, or are there other people in your industry potentially that you can get support from? If you're, for example, a woman and you're being propositioned by a male boss, are there any other female bosses that you potentially could get support from or colleagues or figuring out ways how to navigate often a really tricky situation? Yeah. So those are just our stories, but I think we would love to hear from our listeners um, around how have you dealt with street harassment? How have you dealt with workplace harassment? How have you dealt with icky, I'm not sure if this is a harassment situation, funny, sad, scary, happy? We want to hear them all. So shoot us an email at askafrikan at gmail and we'll see if we can get you on the podcast. Speaking of writing into us, we have someone who sent us an email this week. This is our first listener letter. It is. Are Woo! we gonna, are we going to call them listener letters? No, we'll think of something wittier. Okay, we will. TBD. From, quote, a disgruntled optimist. So, this person writes, quote, I'm a young African who moved back to the continent about a year and a half ago to pursue my dream of working in and contributing to Africa's development story. Having lived in two countries since my return from the States, I've become very pessimistic and critical about development work, and specifically our governments. I know with this field, specifically within governance, the outcomes might take years to materialize. I don't know how to stay motivated and positive in my everyday work. Sometimes it feels like we've moved two steps forward, only to hear about a scandal that takes us five steps back. What advice do you have for a tired young professional who really wants to make a difference in the continent? Oh, disgruntled. I know. First off, thank you, disgruntled optimist, for writing in and trusting us with some of your frustrations. I have a, an idea, but... Go for it. Up? No, go for it. So this is advice that I think applies to a lot of different situations, but particularly here I think it's very useful because I find that working in any development-type work on the continent is incredibly frustrating and there's a lot of bureaucracy involved with a lot of organizations. And then you have, of course, the political aspect depending on where you are and what it is that you're doing. I would advise that you take a step back and continuously remind yourself that you are just one person. You are not going to fix every single problem. All you can do is be the best at what it is that you're doing and do the work that's in front of you. And for me, it's very overwhelming at times to think about what's happening in Kenya, what's happening in the region, and then sometimes, you know, thinking about what's happening in the U.S. And it's all, it's a little bit too much because you care about so many different places. You want everybody to do well and you want the best outcomes, but it's really difficult sometimes to see that materializing. But what I would advise is to do the little things, to do the work that's in front of you which is, I think, a bastardized version of a Mother Teresa quote. But I find that it's very useful when I'm feeling like macro-wise. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed and there's not much that I myself can do because other powers that be have so much influence and I can't change that. Because unfortunately, you can't change what a president does. You can't change what an MP does. You can't change what a cabinet secretary does, especially if you're not... A citizen of where you are and you can't vote in one way or another or be really active in those decisions 
I would also say that the sphere of influence you do have is the people that you're closest to. So the people that you interact with every day, whether that's at work or at home, and how do you have those conversations and start to shape your own world in the way that you want to see larger development challenges change into overcome. And I think for me, another big thing, and this is when I'm feeling frustrated more broadly, is humor. (laughs) Find yourself a good set of people that you can just laugh with. And whether that's about development stuff or your work or dating or golf or whatever you do on your weekends, find people you can laugh with because that makes it easier to overcome the obstacles and to revisualize the obstacles as just something that you have to find a way around. So I think a part of it was governance and outcomes taking years to materialize and scandals that are occurring. You know, you're not going to change corruption or you're not going to change some of those higher level things that leaders are doing in your space. But where you can perhaps make a change is within your organization in terms of some of the maybe attitudes that your colleagues have, especially if you're in an organization where their headquarters are in Europe or in the US, but the work is based on the continent, there's a really big voice that you can have to make a difference in terms of how their thought process and their planning is. Because I find that with some of these organizations that aren't headquartered on the continent, their mission statement and their their bureaucracy and their their strategy is very divorced from the work that needs to get done and the realities on the ground. And while perhaps it's not going to help you deal with the slow pace, it can help you make an impact where you actually have an avenue to do so. But thank you, Disgruntled Optimist. I hope you're a little less disgruntled now. <laughs> and yeah, definitely let us know what happened. So what techniques you employ. We'd love to hear from you. So this episode's Africana proverb of the week. Week, week, week. Sorry. Like my arms. (laughs) Is, and this is one of my all-time favorites, and there's a really good meme that goes along with it that we will post on our social media. This week's Africana proverb of the week is, you aren't Jolof Rice, you can't make everyone happy. And I just think, ain't that the truth? (laughs) Who doesn't love Jolof? Is this a bad time to admit that I've only really had it once? This is the wrong time to admit that, yeah. Okay, I'll wait for another episode. And I think we're always trying to, and especially like being young women on the continent, we're trying to make and please other people and make people happy. But you just get to a place where there are going to be people who don't like you or who don't see eye to eye with you. And you just focus on the people who you get along with and you don't have to make everybody happy. And that's okay. And this is what I'm coming to terms with in my early 30s. Is this a bad time to admit that the only time that I had jollof rice, it was in Seoul, South Korea? Also a bad time. Okay. I'll wait till the next episode. (laughs) Although, can I say, it's actually a really funny story, but I don't know. Are you going to do this on the podcast? Okay. Well, I guess let's go. (laughs) So I was walking. No, you were joking. (laughs) No, I wasn't. Here's an African story. Unscripted. Yeah. Gather around, children. True life. Storytelling time. True life. I ate jollof rice in South Korea. That's disgusting. It was good. No, I'm sure it tasted good, but like, was the only like, a Nigerian and a Ghanaian got married and moved to Seoul and set up I don't know the jollof No, it was a Nigerian person. Okay. Because I was eating, I was... Not that we're taking sides. 
Right. We're very bipartisan or nonpartisan here. So I was walking around... What was it? It was Hooker Hill, I think. Hey, this is just, the story's already the most. So Hooker Hill is a hill, <laughs> shocker, is a hill where there are a lot of mini brothels. But in the daytime, you don't see really much of that. There was an Iranian restaurant, there was a Nigerian, there were so many restaurants from all over the world. And so one day I was just walking, I had no idea. This was my first summer in Seoul. I was just exploring, Itaewon is the area where there are a lot of foreigners. Um, it's close to a US army base. And anyway, so I was walking around and I see this restaurant called Mama Africa. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously just calling your name. Yeah, exactly. Like the Lion King like, soundtrack I was came go- on. Yeah. I was going to sing it and then I decided not to. <laughs> but, so I walk in and I also walk into the mini Lagos of Seoul. So there's all these stores. It's like a labyrinth of, of fabric and cocoa butter and shea butter just like, my heart's so happy already and then there was this restaurant called mom africa and i talked to the guys like oh how long have you been here and what's your story what have you i think he thought maybe i was immigration which makes no sense because <laughs> i'm not korean so why would i be immigration so you know i can imagine though you don't want to give all your details out to people you don't know that's fair but the food was really good and i had jollof rice for the first and last time that was 2009 Seoul. <laughs> Until next time, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. We just got a Stitcher account. All you Android users, you can listen to us there. And we'd love to hear from you, so feel free to slide directly into our DMs. (laughs) Dick pic to Adidana. Do not do that. (laughs) On Twitter, Instagram, at Africana, and on Facebook, at Africana Podcast. And for this episode's vote of thanks, vote of thanks to Rachel for sharing their stories and to Disgruntled Optimist for writing in to us. Vote of thanks to the fantastic Federica Boswell for editing this episode. Vote of thanks to Victor Mudithi for our branding. And of course, vote of thanks to all of you for listening and spending some time with us today. You could have been listening to anyone else in the world, but you're here with us and we appreciate that. Should we vote of thanks each other maybe? Yeah, high five, episode two. It's a real thing. Taking over the world. Maybe I'll tell my friends now that I'm actually doing this. Your friends. Wow. Bye. (laughs) Bye, guys.